Hello, I'm Grayson Bolte, and welcome to another episode of SAE Tomorrow Today. If you haven't already, please kindly take a moment to follow and be notified when a new episode is released. SAE Tomorrow Today is published every Thursday. Before this episode begins, we are very proud to share SAE's new digital standard system, OnQ. Integration is key, that's why SAE OnQ uses a secure cloud-based system so engineers have quick access to the standards and data they need to simplify workflows and connect to what matters. Click the link in the show notes and explore the possibilities of digital. On today's episode, I sat down with Peter Anderson Sprecher, founder and chief technical officer at Fox Robotics to discuss the deep learning perception and path planning AI software used for efficient unloading, the huge market for warehouse logistics and forklifts, and how Fox Robotics gives back to the community supporting STEM programs and children robotics. And away we go. Enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Peter. Thanks, Grayson. It's great to be here. I'm super happy to have you here because what you're doing is really, really cool. And it's a topic we haven't covered on this podcast. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Peter, growing up, how did you first become interested in technology? Was there a moment that sparked your interest? Uh, so I, I I think I got interested in technology through uh, some you know, early exposure I had to computers in particular. I mean, uh, really all sorts of technology, you know, just uh Coming into the world, you can't. I couldn't help but be amazed by uh, all of the various kinds of things that you know people around me had built, whether they be uh, airplanes or computers. I, I I played a lot of video games growing up. Uh, certainly, uh, anything that presented a, particularly anything that presented like a virtual world. Uh, it's just a technology for me has always been a way of uh, taking the imaginary and making it and making it real uh, and. I always kind of felt if I could master the uh, master the principles behind uh, technology that uh, uh, you know I could really do anything in my career. And you're still doing amazing things. Growing up, did you build your computers? Did you overclock the the video game system so it would run faster and you could beat your friends at games? Uh, so I, I built I, I built some things. I was I was more on the software side. There were a few um, uh, you know. Uh, there were there were a few pieces of software where I would I would go in and tweak some of the code to uh, 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 let me let me let me cheat a little bit but don't don't uh, don't 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 tell anyone. Um, <laughs> as with a lot of kids, we would find broken pieces of uh, of machinery in the in the dumpster and try to put them back together and make them work again. I I have a nephew who is uh, who who is very into that now, so it's kind of cool getting to getting to see him uh, uh, relive some of my uh, childhood experiences. That's absolutely fantastic. So if I'm going to play a video game for fun, I'm going to call you up and say, okay, how can we make the baseball player in this game hit the ball faster? How can I get a new weapon? <laughs> and, and this is great because, Peter, you've said at your time studying at Carnegie Mellon was transformative for you. What was it that made that experience so transformative? Because you've had this really great upbringing of building things and this understanding of virtual worlds and technology. And then you go into this incredible university at Carnegie Mellon where you had this transformative experience. What was it? So I mean, I like to think of Carnegie Mellon as it's 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 really when I got my chops as a roboticist. Um, I studied robotics and AI in my undergraduate school. You know, uh, my advisor student Susan Fox was uh, really a key mentor for me in, in, in undergrad. But I never really understood the why. Um, I, I was I would I would build simple robotic systems that would work sometimes, but would but would break a lot of the time. And there's there's just something about being immersed in an environment like like uh, you find at Carnegie Mellon, where you're surrounded by some of the best experts in the field. You know, very uh, hard work schedules, working 15 hours a day plus uh, 
between classes and uh, research assignments um, and just being immersed in that for so long gives you a intuitive sense of uh, how robotics work that you just can't get uh, any other way. My advisor at Carnegie Mellon, Reed Simmons, uh, once said that robotics is fundamentally a study in uncertainty and those who can really uh, embrace the uncertainty that you find in in the world that your robots are interactive and working with and use it to your advantage, like those are going to be the, be the people who uh, really succeed in the field. You mentioned Susan Fox was a key mentor of yours. Is Fox Robotics named after her? Is that a, is that a giant thank you to her? No, that, that's, that's, that's uh, uh, just a happy coincidence. Oh. It, it's a wonderful coincidence. And at, at CMU, I'm assuming you had all this hands-on experience where you're building, building robotics, tr- testing them in different terrains and in different environments, kind of really, truly learning about robotics? Uh, so yeah, my primary research assignment in at Carnegie Mellon was focused on adaptive safety systems for collaborative uh, assembly uh, work cells. So uh, we had a contract from the Navy where they were trying to assemble missiles on board aircraft carriers in tight quarters, and they're trying to find a way to do that so uh, the machines could work alongside the people where the machines would lift the heavy things. And the people would do things like wire up individual pieces of the uh, uh, of of the components together, and do and do it in a safe and collaborative manner. So that was that was the main focus of, of research. And I think that has, you know, uh, folded well into the work I do today. I definitely agree. It, it folded well into the work you did today. And, and prior to founding Fox Robotics, you were you were at Google, and then in 2017, you left Google and embarked on a four month, 2600 mile hike from Canada to Mexico on the Pacific Crest Trail to find yourself. What did you learn during that journey? Did you did you build things on there since going back to what you've done uh, earlier in your career in childhood? Did you explore things or just that you went on this hike to say, what am I going to do next? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's, more, it's more the latter. It's, it's really a very reflective experience. So I had just spent six years living and working in the Bay Area uh, at Google. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a very particular kind of perspective you get in the world of technology, right? Like you're immersed in a world of machines and civilization, and it, it's easy to lose touch. So I just wanted to take some time to reconnect and uh, uh, reflect. I think I would say I, I learned less about myself in particular than perhaps, uh, you know, my and our in general relationship uh, with uh, the world. In particular, it's easy to see ourselves as separate from the natural world, uh, but that's 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 that, that that's really not true. Everything we do is is integrated, and as a roboticist in particular, um, something that's always struck me, and that was you know uh, was really obvious to me throughout uh, that particular journey was that um, you know everything I build as a as a roboticist and, and a technologist is fundamentally brittle in a way. I mean, if if, if 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 we weren't there to maintain our robots, they would fall apart in a matter of uh, weeks or 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 months, uh, and that goes with 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 everything in our in our world. Whereas the natural world is just complex and adaptive in a way that if I can capture just you know a small part of that in the work in, in the work that I do, I think I'll have had a successful career. And when you're going through the trail, is there like a conservation element where everybody's trying to make sure that the trail's sustainable and it, it's functioning properly? Yeah. So, um, you know, uh, there's a very strong leave no trace ethic uh, on the trail. So uh, y- you all uh, make sure to, you know, le- leave the trail as you found it uh, and leave, you know, the living things you find along the trail as you found them. Uh, and 
there, there are a lot of folks who have come back after the trail experience and done volunteer trail maintenance. Uh, uh, so, you know, every, every now and again, I'd, I'd run across a trail crew and they're like, oh yeah, I did, you know, I, I hiked the trail 20 years ago and, and now I'm, you know, I, I just, now I just come back and do some occasional trail maintenance. So there, there's a really good community around it. It's absolutely wonderful because you're out there for four months in the wilderness. You've got to have dedication decision-making and survival skills to be able to do it. And you have to learn how to adapt as mother nature throws different various weather elements at you. Were there moments on that trail that pushed you to the limit when you, when you're out there in the wilderness and with just you and mother nature? Um, there were certainly some challenging moments. So, uh, Oregon had a very, had a very bad fire season that year. This was in 2017. So there was, there was a lot of, uh, avoiding smoke, uh, and, and working your way around fire closures and making sure making sure to stay safe and not get in the way of the, the fire and rescue crews. And then let's see what else we we had a early season snowstorm in the high Sierras in September, and you know we're all ultralight uh, you know through hikers with very little very little stuff. So suddenly we get a foot of snow dumped on us and have to find a way back out to town. Uh, I was you know I was fortunate to have enough spare clothes to be warm, but uh, it was def- definitely a little bit of a challenge. And then. In the in, in the last part of the trail in, in the desert, there's almost no water. So there's a lot of, uh, you know, hiking long distances across the desert and hoping that that, that, that water source you're counting on, uh, you know, two days down the road is actually going to be there. And sometimes it's not. And then you have to figure out what to do. But all that said, I honestly found found it to be surprisingly effortless. I mean, it's, it's really a very meditative experience. Uh, you kind of get up every day and do the same thing. And just one foot in front of the other until you, until you reach the other side. So, yeah, I, f- I found it to be very peaceful all in all. You, you come back from the trail from this incredibly um, thought-provoking, peaceful experience. Then you you co-founded Fox Robotics with your co-founder, Charles DeHodway. Did this did you hatch the idea on the trail of this is kind of what I wanted to do? Or is it just that your relationship with Charles from, from Google and you said we want to do something together? So we, we had been kind of in, in contact every couple of months uh, since uh, Charles left Google. So I, I knew I... I knew that uh, this kind of kernel of the idea had already started, um, but um, I didn't really commit until I had gotten done with the trail. Um, yes, uh, uh, Charles and I uh, worked together at, at Google for a number of years. We started on a project called Katamari, which was a project. Our mission was to scan every object in the world. So we, we took all the objects that came in uh, and that were going to be listed on Google Shopping, and we built these high-quality automated 3D scanners that would capture the shape and appearance of those objects and put them up. So, you know, if you want to see your paper towels in 3D before you buy them, that's uh, you, you, you can you can do that. Uh, so that, that was a fun project. And then the other thing that's that I worked on with Charles that I think was really a kind of spiritual predecessor to what we're doing right now is uh, we acquired a company called Industrial Perception in 2015 that had a robot that was doing automated case unloading of, of trucks. So like the, the UPS truck would pull up, it would have a big industrial arm with a suction grip on it that would pull pull boxes off and put them on a conveyor belt. And that was that was my real first exposure to robotics for warehousing logistics. So I think that, that I think that really formed both Charles and my uh, perspectives on the company. So you have you have the UPS with a robotic arm element. Were there any other elements that came into this when you and Charles decided to focus on warehouse automation, or was that that aha moment we could do something uh, more scalable than the robotic arm? Yeah. So uh, so so warehousing is. 
I, I think it's really kind of a Goldilocks application for robotics right now, right? It's what we call a semi-structured environment. So it's it, it's structured in that there's certain kinds of things you find in a warehouse. You know, there are forklifts, there are pallets, uh, there are boxes that you put on those pallets, and uh, everything is more or less put together uh, in a way that uh, uh, you know everyone who's working at the facility is is, is employed to work there. Um, so it's, this makes it much easier than something like home automation, where you're trying to clean your kid's bedroom and you have no idea what you're going to find. Right. <laughs> uh, which I think is impossible. Maybe that that's never going to happen, but it, at the same time, it's less structured than something like a manufacturing line where all you're doing is taking a big robotic arm and having it repeat a motion from point A to point B and then back again. So, um, really with the advances that have come into the field of robotics in the past 10 years, I think that this, that this, this huge this huge market of warehousing and logistics is really ripe for the picking. The market in forklifts in particular is is surprisingly large. I mean, you know, most people don't see them, but uh, there are over a million forklifts sold uh, each year globally. And there's a, you know, a growth rate of five to seven percent on top of that annually. Uh, so and then if you look at labor demand in warehouses, that's growing even faster than that, at least up until the pandemic started. So it's, it's, it's a big market. And I think it's, it's really right at that cusp of being suitable for automation, which is why Charles and I decided to go into this space for Fox Robotics. Brilliant. You're selling societies selling a million forklifts a year. Mm-hmm. E-commerce is growing 44 percent over a year. You have the private equity firm led by Steven Schwartzman and John Gray Blackstone buying up more warehouses than they can get to mm-hmm. for e-commerce expansion. We have Prologis based out of San Francisco automating warehouses. It seems like your mm-hmm. timing could not have been more perfect. So the, your forklifts can carry 3,000 pounds on, on one pallet. So what goes into making an autonomous forklift? Because if I'm a warehouse operator, I'm going to say, okay, Peter, this is great. I've got 100,000 square feet and you've got a great autonomous solution. Come on in. But how does it work? Uh, so building an autonomous forklift, it's 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 kind of similar to uh, how the folks building self-driving cars put things together, or any of these other self-driving vehicles. Uh, we we take a, a forklift, a standard uh, stand-up counterbalance forklift that you know any warehouse uh, operator is familiar with, and then we we bring it into our uh, manufacturing process where we put on a, a suite of sensors that includes 360 degree LIDAR scanners, as well as uh, a camera and other vision sensors for detecting pallets and other things in the environment. Then we, we strip off all of the old controllers. We, we, put, on our, we put on our own uh, autonomy package. Uh, and then, we, then the real magic comes in the uh, artificial intelligence software that we uh, put on top of that. So everything from you know, dynamic path planning to uh, uh, deep learning driven uh, perception of the environment. Wow. Is there any restrictions on the type of forklift that you can put your system on? Uh, so right now, right now we only, uh, we only support uh, one, uh, one forklift model. Uh, that's just, that is a, you know, 3000 pound capacity, as you said, uh, stand up counterbalance model. Uh, but, uh, you know, a, for a future product line, uh, we hope to support most common material material handling equipment that you might find in a warehouse. Fantastic. And for our listeners who are interested in what Peter and Fox are doing, they have an incredible video on their website that shows you how it works. Um, so I highly recommend you watch that. Or if you're in the Austin area, uh, it says on the website that people are welcome to come see a demo. So if you're in the Austin, Texas area, I would highly recommend that because it's absolutely fascinating what Fox Robotics is able to do. Peter, when... You're getting ready to deploy. You have a customer. Let's call it Acme Customer. 
when you're getting ready to deploy this, this system in their warehouse, their loading area, do you have to go in and pre-map or how does that process work when the, the deal's done and the customer says, okay, Peter, let's go? Uh, yeah, so uh, right right now, our current product is primarily focused on trailer unloading. Uh, so the good thing about this is it makes the integration very easy. All you have to do is take our our forklift uh, into your receiving area. We will help you put up a couple of uh, fiducial markers on either side of the dock that you want to unload from, just so the robot knows, hey, this is dock door number 43, and uh, I need to unload pallets from here. Uh, and then we take a couple measurements of how your ramp is uh, laid out, how the, you know, the leveler going into the trailer is laid out, plug that into our system, and then uh, you, you, all you have to do is say where you want the pallets to go. And within within 30 usually when we when we arrive at a new facility uh, we can be unloading pallets within less than an hour um, and then after that there's there, there's often a couple more days of tuning and process flow optimization uh, that that goes into making sure you're really getting the maximum effect out of it wow so is it all software that determines to how to um, unload the trailer is that the is that the, the glue that makes this possible yeah. So, and this is this this is one of our, I think our key value propositions that that we focused on uh, very early on in the company. So, my co-founder Charles uh, comes from a strong deep learning background, and we've we've really taken advantage of some of the recent uh, advances in uh, deep learning driven computer vision and perception to really understand uh, our environment. In 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 particular, we have a deep learning based pallet detector that tells us uh, where the pallets are on your trailer, what orientation they're in, are they straight or are they turned, uh, as, as well as doing checks for, for things like stability. So sometimes you'll see pallets that maybe have collapsed in the trailer and uh, you can't really, uh, and uh, you don't really want to pick them. So we'll, 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 we'll do some uh, validation verification as well. But yeah, that's, that's, I think that's one of the, one of the key strengths of our, of our approach. Uh, we're, we're, we're able to take uh, and understand uh, what's on your trailer. Uh, uh, however the vendor might ship it to you. It's absolutely incredible. So let's use an example. You get a pallet of soda delivered mm -hmm. and the pallet's broken. Your system through your, through your software can determine that that's a broken pallet. Let's get another pallet. Uh, yeah. So what, what'll happen is, uh, let's say, uh, your load collapsed during transport. So, um, you have a pallet and like half the products lying on the floor next to the pallet, like anyone who worked, who's worked at receiving dock can, can tell you it happens sometimes. So what'll, what'll happen in that case is, is we'll flag this pallet as, oh, we, we, uh, uh, this is not pickable. And then we have a notification system that will, uh, go to the operators working on the on the, on the receiving dock, and then they, they can go in and uh, resolve the situation however it needs to be resolved, which usually involves you know restacking the pallet and making it ready to uh, ready to move again. Yeah, no, it's it's really important, and, and frankly, it's very smart. So, I'm, I'm I'm Acme Warehouse. I have your system there and operating. You mentioned little beacons. Do I have to do any major infrastructure changes or just those little beacons so that it knows, okay, you're going to go in slot four and then you're going to go to bay five? Is that very simple infrastructure or is it major infrastructure changes? Yeah, the, the, infra the infrastructure changes are, are very minor. And in fact, for... Uh, for the unloading process, one one of the advantages about automating that is that we don't even need, we don't even need to integrate with the uh, warehouse management system or IT infrastructure of the facility. So it really is just a matter of uh, rolling off the truck and uh, and and starting to work. Once we move beyond unloading strictly and start dealing with put away and storage tasks, you'll you'll obviously have to start integrating with things like the warehouse management system just so it can integrate with the, the existing workflow. But uh, that's that's one of the reasons that we we decided to tackle unloading first is because it makes it makes it effortless to uh, integrate into your existing workflows. 
It's brilliant because if I'm a warehouse owner operator, you have a very lightweight solution for me to start experimenting and testing the technology and increasing my productivity, which I want to read a quote to you from one of your investors, Mark Siegel, who's a partner at Menlo Ventures. He stated the following about the company publicly. The company's value proposition is clear. Their full stack solution for self-driving forklifts that can increase workplace productivity by 200 to 300%. They bring huge efficiency to the supply chain. Absolutely incredible. Could you talk about the potential growth of workplace productivity with your system for individuals that are in the warehouse industry that are listening today? Yeah. So the 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 pitch is um, it, it, it is that it let, it's 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 going to let the existing receiving associates uh, uh, do the work that uh, the people are really best suited to, uh, which means that. Uh, they're going to be doing things like checking and verification, uh, just making sure that uh, the vendors haven't shipped in uh, a load of uh, the spoiled goods or something. Uh, they're going to be focused on uh, handling some of those exception cases. So when that pallet has fallen over, uh, they can go in and, uh, and, and, and and rectify it. And that's really where our, producti- our, our, our productivity gains come in. It also... Uh, uh, help smooth the receiving flow a little bit in terms of uh, whenever truck drivers come in and want to have a, a load offloaded, um, there are often constraints around you know how long they can sit there waiting for their trailer to be unloaded. Uh, and this our, and our solution can, can give a level of predictability uh, that's, uh, solves, that solves another kind of uh, a productivity uh, pain point for some of our customers. I think it's absolutely brilliant. If you look at the produce industry or you look at Hunts Point, a large produce market um, outside of New York on Long Island, that your forklift can unload the produce and you can have an individual there say, okay, the cabbage is good, the lettuce is good. You're increasing that productivity. You're making it a better situation for that business. But I want to point out, and you can correct me if I'm wrong in this, it seems like your system can reduce accidents. Yeah, absolutely. Safety is really a key part of our pitch as well, because there are a surprising number of forklift safety accidents every year. There's In this country alone, there are 35,000 serious injuries re- resulting from uh, lift truck accidents and another another 60,000 minor injuries, uh, which w- when you compare that to the number of uh, forklifts that, that are in the country, that means one out of every 10 forklifts in this country is going to be involved in some kind of accident uh, uh, this this year. So these, these are these are really common, really common accidents. And by bringing in the people only when necessary, uh, I think I, th- I think we can help reduce uh, workplace safety incidents uh, significantly. We accomplish this through kind of a two-tier system. So we have a we have a base vehicle platform that's compliant with all appropriate industrial safety standards, in particular B, uh, ANSI B56.1 and 56.5. Then we have a second tier of all our autonomy software that builds on top of that, which means that we can kind of get the best of, best the best of both worlds. We have a we have a fundamentally safe platform that we then can uh, iterate quickly in terms of features and capabilities on top without jeopardizing that that, that safe platform. So for us, safety is really an, an enabling technology, not a limitation. It's brilliant. And for the, the warehouse owner or the manager, you're, you're increasing efficiency, you're increasing safety, but you're also lowering costs because you're going to lower the insurance costs because there's less risk to insure against. So you're doing a lot of good across the entire value chain. I love to know we have, let's call them Acme Warehouse customer goes and as I mentioned earlier, visits you in Austin, sees the demo. What's the reaction on their faces like this giant awe smile? Like you've had to have some priceless reactions when these individuals have come to visit you. Yeah, so it's, 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 it's usually really heartening, right? Because so people in the materials handling industry are 
they're they're usually pretty jaded, right? They're, they've they've been around a while and uh, they're used to really dumb automation, right? Like there 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 are a number of companies like ourselves that are building this next generation of automation. So I, I don't want to pretend like we're the only ones, but most of what they're used to are these really old, mostly wire guided systems that just execute the same path over and over again. So when they can see that. Uh, for example, uh, something, something, a, a simple thing that gets a good reaction a lot of the time is when we see that a, a place that you know we we're going to place one of our pallets is blocked by something. Like they'll they'll you know go stand there or they'll they'll, they'll, they'll put an object there. And we can just see that and we can just skip it and move on to the next one. And then uh, once we realize it's empty again, we'll come back and fill it in. So little 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 things like that that demonstrate the the dynamism of the, of this uh, system are really impressive to some of our customers. So it's always, it's always, it's always good when they, when they're uh, uh, pleasantly surprised by something like that. That's fantastic. We, we talked a lot about the hardware and we kind of danced around software. Are you developing all the hardware and software in house? So, uh, yes, I mean, we're, we're using off the shelf parts for all of our kind of core controllers and sensors. Uh, but, uh, this is uh, all being assembled and, and built in-house on the hardware side. And then on the, on the software side, again, we're using some tools, but it's, it's primarily all developed in, in-house. And I think, I think you really do have to own the entire system for, uh, a, for a complex robotic system like this to uh, you know, deliver the kind of value we hope to. Um, uh, if you only control part of the puzzle, then you know there's there's these are all very complex components and they all have to fit together just right and if they don't if you, if you if you buy something from someone else that's just a little bit off that that can that can limit what you do in a in a, in a very serious way so we, we we think it's really important to take responsibility for and to own uh, as much of this stack as we can i fully 100% agree with you you can make a more efficient product you can make a safer product but you can also iterate and and try new things to improve your product if you're controlling it we, we've spoken a lot about education throughout this podcast, and Fox deeply cares about STEM education. You even sponsor two high school robotics teams in Austin. Was that based on your experience that you wanted to give back to, to the local community, or what sparked the whole giving back to the community through STEM education from Fox? Uh, so, I mean, it's always been something that we cared that we cared about, and I want to give a, a shout out to my co-founder Charles and uh, also Desiree uh, for really taking the initiative in uh, reaching out to these teams and helping to sponsor them. Uh, we we do care deeply about um, giving back giving back to the community like this, uh, and um, it, it's been a real pleasure to work with these kids. Have there been any memorable takeaways where a, a young child comes up and says? Hey, Peter, I'm going to build this robot that's going to do X, Y, and Z because you inspire me what you did with a forklift. And so I have a little robotics kit at home and I'm trying. Has there been any of these magical takeaways that made you feel really good and really proud? I, I, I don't think I have a specific example so much as just a general takeaway. So first of all, I also want to give a shout out to our uh, uh, sponsored teams, uh, Team Fuzzy Logic and the Robo Legends. They're both great. We love, we love having them on board. And uh, like... Really, I just, I just, I just look at what they're doing, and I compare it to the kind of stuff that I was doing in high school. And like, I never had these kind of opportunities. I was, you know, I wasn't building systems that were this sophisticated uh, until, you know, probably after college. Uh, so, just like the level of sophistication and the level of, the level of excitement that they that they bring to this challenge every single day is, I think, I think it's really, really inspiring for me and, and everyone else at the company. So, uh, we're. Um, yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm as I'm as inspired by them as they are by as 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 they are by the, us. And you know, 
20 years from now when they're at the height of their careers, I think they're going to be doing really great things. That's absolutely fantastic. And for the children that are not in the Austin area or, or not where they're necessarily a STEM program, how can we get them more involved with robotics? It's an absolute great career path. So, I mean, I think there are some organizations uh, that are that are that, that are doing a really good job of this. So the, the teams we're sponsoring are part of the VEX Robotics Competition, uh, which is a uh, international uh, robotics competition. So they're sponsoring that they're you know, facilitating programs all over. Uh, First Robotics is, is is another great uh, robotics competition. And um, I, w- I would uh so I, I think that I think that that they're doing great outreach in terms of making this available not to, not just to people who are living in tech hubs like Austin or San Francisco, but uh, also uh, you know uh, kids living throughout the country and eventually throughout the world. So uh, I want to give a shout out to uh, those those groups that are doing it, and definitely you know if, if you're interested in this, they they uh, they welcome volunteers uh, and support from community members you don't even you don't have to be a roboticist you don't have to be uh, an expert in this stuff uh they they would they would they would love to uh, have you get involved so so definitely just get out there in in your community and get get involved because i I think i think these are great programs if a listener wanted to get involved in those programs is there a website they can go to that you know or is there a simple google search that they can do to to find it yeah, yeah. So, like, like I said, I think the two the uh, two main organizations I want to call out, and there there are a lot of other ones too, but the the Vex Robotics Competition and First Robotics, uh, both at the uh, high school level. And for our listeners, that's Vex Robotics and and First Robotics, and just do a simple Google search, and you're going to go down a rabbit hole of fun. We're going to get our kids interested in building all sorts of really cool robotics. And Peter, let's look to the future for a minute here of robotics. What is the future of robotics, and what role do you expect Fox Robotics to play in that future? So I think the future of robotics is I think it's one where robots are robots are ubiquitous, but people maybe don't even notice it. Right. So uh, uh, in our case, for example, uh, supply chain, one of the things about supply chain is it's it's really an invisible process that kind of undergirds everything that uh uh, we do with our lives, and you know, companies like Amazon have been doing a great job of ratcheting up people's expectations for uh, how fast and responsive uh, logistics is. Uh, you know, it used to be that you know, two-day shipping would have been unheard of, and now people are saying, "Oh, I can only get two-day on this. Why can't it be one day?" Right? So, uh, and um, supply chain automation is key to uh, enabling all that, and, and, and you're going to see more robotics, more flexible robotics uh, embedded behind the scenes like that in supply chain, in particular. I think you'll also see robots uh, coming into the world in in surprising ways uh, in our daily in our daily lives as well. I mean, you know, we're all we're all waiting for the self driving cars to become a thing, and, uh, and I, I tend to be on the on the side of it might take longer than people are hoping, but it's it's still a matter of when, not if. Yeah, I, th- I think it's I think I think it's an uh, exciting future. And uh, Fox Robotics, uh, we are mostly committed to uh, the warehousing industry, uh, but. I think that uh, uh, we're definitely trying to be a part of the next generation of uh, more dynamic, more flexible, uh, easier easier to integrate robots that are really going to push this from a niche product to something that's global and ubiquitous. There's no doubt in my mind that Fox Robotics will be part of the, the next generation of robotics is what you're building today is the future because you're creating value for the employee, you're creating value for the business owner, and you're creating value for the partner in the, in the supply chain ecosystem. So I commend you on that. And I can't wait to see what the future holds for robotics because I know it's going to be bright. 
Peter, and as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? Uh, so I think one of the main things I'd like to take away with, is especially if you're in the robotics field, uh, I think that uh, logistics and warehousing is, uh, it, it seems like a, a dry and stuffy uh, a place to a place to work in, but it's it's really an exciting dynamic environment and there's there's opportunities for real change. So I would encourage anyone to get involved in, in, the, in the supply chain and uh, don't be, uh, don't, and, and don't be put off. And uh, uh, also just that robots uh, are, are going to be more and more a part of our, of our daily lives. And I think that's, and I think that's a good thing. So supply chain makes the world go round. It's an incredible opportunity for entrepreneurs and roboticists that want to create a, a better future. And as we heard on this podcast, tomorrow is today. Today is tomorrow. Autonomous forklifts are the future. Peter, thank you so much for coming on the SE Tomorrow Today podcast. Thanks, Grayson. It's been great to be here. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Tune in next week to hear from the founders of Bear Flag Robotics as we discuss tractor automation. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.